It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on Twitter at Charles Chill FFB. Everything at Destination Devi at patreon.com slash allgas. The Chillbillies, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. And then finally, the newsletter, allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. Check that out. Get weekly content every Friday from the Destination Devi crew. Uh, Some big things coming in the works. Uh, If you're listening to this, you did not hear the first episode of Destination Chill. Ray and I uh, decided to push that back a couple weeks. Some stuff came up. We wanted to give it a little time to come up with specifically how we were going to put on the show, and we were able to do that. So you are going to hear more about Destination Chill here very shortly. The new tentative date for the first show is going to be August 6th, so Sunday, August 6th. It will be on YouTube, and that will be the debut show for Destination Chill. One hour, just Ray and I talking football, talking fantasy, talking dynasty, talking strategy, talking with everybody, the people out there that want to interact with us. So show up August 6th. More to come very shortly. Apologize for those that were waiting. We just had to push it back a couple weeks due to some stuff that came up for the both of us. Uh, But with that, this episode today is going to be a crossover with the Overreaction Pod Uh, First time I've been able to join the guys at the Overreaction Pod, Chase and Cody, uh, the Fantasy Draft Room. That's their YouTube channel, but check that out. Uh, But we did a two-parter. We just recently finished the Heisman Tier, Destination Devi Heisman Tier Heroes vs. Villains League. It was a 36-team auction, three copies, USFFL-style rules. We've talked about that a little bit on past episodes. Essentially, the entire startup is an auction. But it is very specific, 12 players per day. Each person can only nominate one, 32 rounds of auction. You can only win two players per day. There were some other parameters, which we will discuss on the show. Uh, But a 36-team, three-copy league, start 13, best ball. Very, very interesting with the scoring and the strategies, which we will definitely touch on more in this show. But really, the biggest thing was being able to read the room as the bids were happening, as teams were getting built. uh, There's some nuances in terms of how the draft picks are determined. So being able to read the room, knowing that there were no pushover players. These were 36 members selected from Heisman to be in this league. So a lot of sharp people, a lot of people that are tapped into a lot of the same content and a lot of the same voices. So that presents an even bigger challenge, is you have people in there that are creating content that are talking about what they're doing. And then you have a lot of people that are listening to that and going and playing against them. So it's really a game of cat and mouse trying to figure out what is the edge, where is the edge. And then there are so many moving parts in an auction like this with some of the weird rules and the scoring, all of the nuances that makes it really, really interesting how everybody navigated. And just watching what happens on a day-to-day basis, that's one of the perks you get over in the Heisman voice chat uh, where we're literally in there just talking about this league a lot of the time. So if you're interested in that, again, check out the Heisman tier over in the Patreon uh, if you want to sign up for that. It's pretty awesome. If you want discussions like this and access to future leagues of a similar nature, 
uh, that's the place to be. So this is going to be a two-part show. You will hear part two on the overreaction pod, which is also on the Destination Debbie feed. Uh, But this is going to be part one. It's going to be my discussion with Chase and Cody. You can follow them on Twitter at Cody Smith, TFDR, and Trophy Chase. Two-part episode, talking strategy, talking how we viewed this league. It's going to be more than just this league. It's going to be a higher-level look at how to approach a crazy format. And then you magnify that with it being 36 teams with some specific rules that we'll talk through not even counting what's going to happen once we get through the original waiver run and we start seeing teams really cement themselves going into 2023. So this will be a fun discussion. Again, hopefully everybody gives a listen to both parts. First part here on Destination Dynasty and the second part will be on the overreaction pod here in a couple days, uh, joining myself, Cody, and Chase. With that, we will get right into the discussion talking about how to approach and read the room and understand the league economy in unique leagues like heroes versus villains enjoy destination dynasty is now sponsored by underdog fantasy i'm gearing up for underdogs fantasy season-long best ball contest it's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the destination debbie team the best part if you use promo code chill when you sign up you'll get a hundred percent deposit match up to a hundred dollars And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up. Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. We're just going to jump right into it. We're here. We're talking heroes versus villains. I'm with Cody. I'm with Chase. Trophy Chase, TFDR. Cody Smith, TFDR. Both of them hosts of the Overreaction Pod. As I said, we're going to be talking an approach to a unique league. We're going to talk through the lens of warp, roster construction, strategy, reading the league economy, tons of different high-level topics where if you're not in this league, You should still be able to take away stuff from these two shows. It's going to be a two-part show. Second part will be on the overreaction pod here in a couple days. But Chase, Cody, welcome. Uh, How you guys doing? You exhausted from this auction that has gone on for now? Well, we're still in the midst of waiting for the first waiver run, but we've been going for over, it's really been like seven weeks of planning it out, but it's been five weeks of actually building the team. So Chase, I'll go to you. Welcome. How you feeling? Thank you so much for having us on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, 32 days of auction is uh, is exhausting, uh, especially when you start you know, grinding the edges of some of these borderline waiver players um, at the end of an auction. So it was a ton of fun, great experience. I'm super glad we did this. But yeah, uh, I, I definitely need a break from, from bidding at this point in time. <laughs> Cody? It's been an absolute grind, man, uh, especially with just personal things happening as well. I'm sitting in a completely empty house recording with you all tonight as well. So um, just personal stuff. You know, we all have stuff going on day to day. So putting 32 days of auction plus another three days, plus all the prep work, it's it's an incredible amount of grinding and work. But it, it's what we do, why we love it and why this league is one of the best dynasty leagues that we're going to see going forward here, especially in the Destination Debbie community. Yeah, and there's daily talk in the Heisman voice chat about the league. And just to give a little background, I don't want to go into every single detail and nuance, but just so people have a little bit of a scope of what we're talking about. 
So this was a 36-team, three-copy auction with USFFL-style rules, which I've talked about that on the show before. Essentially, you're bidding one round of auction per day, 12 players. Everybody puts up one nomination. Now, in this case, there were three different conferences that were doing their auctions at the same time. So essentially, three 12-team leagues that were being auctioned for the 32 days. Then once that's over, everyone comes together and you can trade with everybody. So it's essentially a 36-team, three-copy league where everything is open. Waivers are open, trading is open. Uh, but until then, there was no trading auction dollars, and you could only trade within your conference. So the really the way that it shakes out is you build your team. You had to win 18 players over the course of the 32 days. You could only win up to 40 players, and then you have to cut down to 32. That is what we're waiting on. Uh, right now to see the final cuts. And once that's over, it's going to be a free-for-all. Waivers are going to run every single week. And a couple of the nuances are you can only win two players per day. So you have to be stringent on when you bid and what you bid on. And then the first nine rounds of the 32 were position-specific. So they were a quarterback round, a tight end round, a receiver round, a running back round. So we did nine of the 32 like that. And the rest of the rounds were just put up whatever you want. So those are the auction rules. It's a $1,000 budget, proxy bidding, six-hour timer. You had to get your nomination in within a certain period. So I think that's what both of these guys were saying was the grind, is you had to wake up every day, make sure you get your nomination in, and you had to get it in on time. Otherwise, you had to sit out. And you can only bid on two players at a time. So it's another rule in there. You can't just price and force everybody on the board. So there's a timer aspect to this where you can only be winning or bid two players at a time. So that's another bidding rule uh, that's unique for a lot of people that are doing auctions. After that, it was pretty basic. $1,000 budget, can't trade your dollars, minimum and maximum 18 and 40, and you could trade players during the auction, but you had to leave with a minimum of 18, and you could not leave with more than 40. I think that covered it. Chase, anything to add with specifics on this auction that I didn't touch on that could be helpful for other people that are listening to this? I think that pretty much covers it in terms of the auction strategy uh, or the auction itself in terms of setup. Um, I did want to touch on a few things in, in the scoring realm just because it is unique. And, and while we we don't want to just look at this league specifically as we start diving into some of the warp things, those things will matter. Uh, there, there are point, it is a point per carry. Uh, we have point per target as well. Uh, I think it's 0.5 per target. Uh, there is a, t you know, big play bonus for all positions as far as receptions, you know, 20 plus yards, 40 plus yards, 20 plus rushes, 40 plus rushes. So there are big play bonuses that are like two points and six points each as you have big plays. So this being a best ball league, those types of plays and those types of players are going to matter, of course. And then we also have a two tight end format with this one as well. So it is a start 13 with two tight ends. It is a 1.5 tight end premium. And I think they have the same kind of thing, uh, 0.25 um, additional points per target. And I think that's pretty much it. Uh, big play bonuses, same thing. No, no additional touchdown bonuses i don't think but yeah um i think those are the most important scoring things unless i missed uh anything feel free to speak up cody what didn't he cover you got anything i don't i don't think there's really anything in there i mean the the biggest thing to me that it's going to differentiate this league from any of the other ones obviously you know it sounds incredibly complicated but at the end of the day it's a 12 it's a 12 man auction within your own pod 
and you, you go through it, but it does change in the fact that it is 36 teams. You have to differentiate yourself and the bottom 12 teams after year one will go to a relegation league. That's probably the biggest twist after the draft starts up is that the bottom 12 teams after an all play year will go down to relegation. They have to win their way out of relegation to get back up into the top 24. So it's going to force a lot of teams probably to lean a little bit more win now, not fully punt as heavy in the startup because they don't want to have to win their way back up to be able to win a big prize pool. Um, it, it makes the teams in my mind a lot more even across the board and doesn't really lean towards these productive rebuilds that people typically will try to lean into, or you'll see a couple of teams go towards. I think the only scoring thing that chase overlooked was it is one point per target, which I'm honestly, I set the scoring Ray and I sat down and set the scoring. I still am not sure if the one point per target was actually a mistake. If we meant it to be <laughs> a 10th of a point per target, I don't remember. But it ended up getting set that way to the point where it was like, man, that was something that came up in a couple uh, voice chats was, dude, it's one point per target. If a guy just gets thrown the ball, he's getting a point, let alone so, catching it. So as you say that, I wanted to double check. So it's 0.5 per target for wide receivers, but it is a full point per target yes, for, for running, running backs. backs. Okay. Yes. That, yep. that, that, I think that's important to, yep. to look at that kind of stuff. And then when you talk about the settings and the scoring – I think you have to take this as this is where the skill comes in from being able to assess your league, right? Is we can talk about this league and we can probably talk to everybody that's in the league about what did they notice or how are they going to approach it? But that's why we have the warp tool. That's why we have the scoring matrix. That's why we have whatever you would use to come up with the strategy for your league. Go through that exercise, right? Like it's impossible for us to be like, Oh, you know, here's all the nuances and this is the strategy. If we took an hour, we could probably do it, but we're not going to go any more into this specific league. Use the tools. That's why they're available. SouthHarmonFF.com backslash warp. You can download that. The scoring matrix. If you join Destination Dev, you get access to all of this stuff. Also, that's just another perk of joining uh, over in the Discord. But yeah, I mean, you have to have tools to assess your strategy to begin with, right? Everything we all three just covered. You have to have a strategy going in in terms of how you're going to value players. And I think Cody's thing was very, very important. The draft picks are a lottery-based system, meaning if you finish last out of the playoffs, so 12 make the playoffs, 24 don't. If you finish last, you still only get an 8% shot at getting the 101. You get 24 ping-pong balls out of a total of 300. So you take 1 through 24, add those up, it's 300. You get the number you finished in that order divided by 300. So 24 divided by 300 is 8%. So you can be the stone cold worst team and you have an 8% chance of getting the 101. Or the I mean 102, 103, it's all the same player. But in theory, th this is not a league where you go, "Oh, if I have a bad quarterback room and I suck, I'm just going to get one in the rookie draft cuz I'm going to pick high." Like it, it's really I mean what does Ray say? He just values every non-playoff pick the exact same. The exact same. And until we have more information, I can't really argue with them. I, you almost can't value any of the picks differently until you start seeing how people have built their teams. So this does not lean into, I'm going to punt. And we had numerous people in this draft that that is typically their strategy. And so you stare at them in the face and you're like, dude, you can't, it's not going to work here. You can try it, but it's probably not going to be the best strategy. And the relegation, if you get relegated, you're playing for a pot that is basically less than your buy-in. And it's a pretty decent buy-in. So you want to be in that top 24 where you're playing for 
the the huge prize and you got to finish top four to, to get money, but you don't want to be playing in the bottom league where it's like, yeah, if you win, you win what your money back and next year you better be able to hang on and try to compete in the big league. Even if you're middling, do you really want to take yourself and just go, okay, I'm going to fully punt and then take maybe a two to three rebuild just to try to win your way back into the top at 24? Like, I would actually rather sit in the middle, get no, have no shot at like really winnings for a little while, but then in two years after grinding edges, be able to get myself up into the actual payday than having to potentially at that point just win basically my money back and then still have to win in the top 24 as well. Like relegation is a place I'd never want to be. And that's something that we all kind of noticed. I think we were all in different divisions when we were drafting. I was in AB Cody, you were in uh, CD and Scott was in EF and we all had very different auction experiences, but I think we all started to notice people were, were making decisions kind of to not get relegated. They were, they were starting to go in on players uh, or they were missing out on players and they, they started to change and adjust what they were thinking just because they didn't want to end up in relegation. Um, and, and you can see that with the way some of these teams are built and constructed as well. Yeah, I think that was my biggest concern was, I, Cody, you nailed it. Like, I would rather just ensure that I'm in the middle with a plan versus even risking falling outside of that top 24. Because if you think about it, even if you fall down and you have a good roster and you get lucky in the lottery and you end up with a top three or four pick and you end up with a player that you can not just draft a good player, because I think people in best ball and a start 13 realize that single individual players are only really worth what your roster construction says you can do with them, right? So even if you end up with Marvin Harrison Jr., Brock Bowers, like you can say, hey, that's going to be a great player. But the real move is, can you find somebody that's willing to give you a three for one, that's willing to really trade you depth, quality depth, where you can fill out your team? I think that's how you get back to the top quicker if you can make that kind of move. So you're really trying to hit in the lottery if you're in that situation of, okay, do I have a player that I just lucked into that I can immediately move? It's immediately flexible to go around the league and do something with versus I just hit on a, a placeholder wide receiver. Sure, he's probably good, but it, until he's really good, a lot of other people are just matching him with just volume on their rosters already. So it, it, it lends you to kind of have to have a strategy to get into the middle. So let's, let's just start there. I mean, what did you guys do going into this? Because none of us punted. What did you guys do going into this to say, I'm going to try to give myself a baseline or a floor to make sure that I, if anything, even if things go wrong, I'm not getting relegated. Chase, I'll start with you. So one of the biggest things that, that Cody and I talked about before, and this is just the mindset of the auction itself is I'm just getting players of value. Um, I, I have a specific thought in mind where when I went into this draft, I knew I wanted to get myself a top four, top three quarterback, ideally. Um, I wanted to make sure I had wide receiver depth where I had a bunch of guys in that I'd say top 48, maybe 55 range. Um, so with that when I did come out of that draft, I had value on my roster, uh, specifically, you know, wide receiver, just because a lot of these teams are going to value receiver more than they are running back or other positions. So I wanted to do that. And then I also was looking to, uh, with it being too tight end, I wanted to have a couple guys that I really could rely on and then build out depth from there because I do want to have just that off chance of a, uh, of a dart tight end cracking my lineup from time to time. 
Um, so that was kind of the, the simplified version of how I went into it, but it comes down to just value. I wanted to, to accumulate players with value that people would be interested in trading for. Cody. Yeah. I mean, every auction that I go into, I have a par sheet that I build out is what I call it. Um, it's based on Drew Davenport's that he uses for redraft auction. And I've kind of taken it and put it into a dynasty auction lens landscape in terms of startup as well. And I basically just budget out, like I want to spend this much, probably a quarterback, this much at running back, this much wide receiver, this much tight end. Um, looking at that and running through it, it basically led me to think that in the drafts that we've done in the past, I can probably try to put myself in the quarterback seven to 10 range. I want one of those like fringe top nine guys to really lock down the quarterback, get another one pretty close there as well. Spend about 40% of my budget on quarterback. And then if, if you've been listening to the overreaction pod at all with me and Chase, we don't really have to deviate from our normal strategies and startups to get ourselves at least in the middle. We, we typically, every time we go in, are going to be more win now, win they're vet heavy and age heavy and we just don't really care and we'll re-roll if it doesn't really work out and we'll roll over the assets and into the future so there really isn't too much but whenever i'm at the start of the auction i'm trying to pick up some pieces that i know are just going to be i don't even care about the value i just want proven production pieces yeah and that kind of leads into the warp discussion we were looking at the warp graph prior to starting the show and one of the things you notice uh if anybody wants to check it out on the warp graph, you can actually pull up the league ID and throw it in there. It's two five two eight two. Actually, no, don't throw that one in there. That's a Scott Fishbowl. It's uh four seven four five one. Yeah, four seven four five one. Throw that into the warp tool. Uh, just calculate the warp so you can look at the warp graph. Now it's based on slightly expanded rosters. Until we run waivers, we're going to cut them down to thirty two. But you'll still be able to kind of see the distribution of warp from last year to just see. Okay, if you look at that graph. If what you guys both said is true, because I took the same approach, there came a point where the first couple days and our conference actually didn't get a quarterback round up right away, but there were quarterback rounds that happened in the other two conferences earlier than ours. But I think I quickly realized, you know what, if I'm just trying to make sure I don't get relegated, I, the best bang for your bucks, not the quarterbacks. And it proved out that way, but even from the get-go, you're basically banking if you're taking a quarterback that even if you think it's a quote unquote like BAM tier quarterback and you're paying 25, 30% of your budget. Now, keep in mind in some of these leagues where like the USFFL leagues, we only do 10 rounds of auction. You still get 23 snake picks to build your team. So you have insulation. You're not going to get basically screwed on not getting enough players. So you'd see quarterbacks go for 35, 40% easy. And People were just like, yeah, I know I'm going to have to pay that if I want one of these guys here. I'm looking at this going, what is the easiest access to points? And it, it became very quick to me to see that the quarterback prices were not really adjusting downward enough for me to even be willing to go in on one of the elite guys. So maybe it's leaning into a strategy that I've kind of leaned into the last couple months where it's like, dude, the, the two elite quarterbacks or even the one elite quarterback strategy is it's hard to pull off, especially with a uh, group of other sharp people. I went the opposite. I went crusty at QB and I only went with two because of the scoring, but I think I got enough points on my roster where I I'm pretty confident. I'm not going to get relegated, but I think quickly I realized the points were going to be in other places. Just bang for your buck. And we'll see if the trade market reflects on that. We've seen a couple trades with quarterbacks already, but I don't know. I think this league is going to be pretty tight when it comes to quarterbacks that move, even on the lower tiers. 
at the same time, once you get to the lower tiers based on the warp graph, I don't really care that much about them. You know, quarterback 22 versus a wide receiver two or three, they're basically the same thing. I'm not going to overpay because one of them's a starting quarterback. So that was my thought. I quickly realized I'm not in the elite quarterback market here. Um, I maybe overpaid a little bit later just to make sure I got two, but not nearly what a couple people paid. What'd you guys think? I, I'm I was right there the same way. The I, I know Chase was the one of the three of us who actually bit, went and bid into a high tier quarterback, but for me, I've I've only gone into the high tier quarterbacks whenever I can also just say it's. For me, it's like a Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey stack or nothing. Like that's kind of what it's got turned into for me whenever I do pay up at that range. Um, otherwise, I'm fine just getting two of the middling tier, middling tier guys. And so the, the two that I walked away with were Deshaun and uh, Dimes, two guys that I think are outside a little bit of that really you're paying up for range, but I think are going to provide me provide me enough value in terms of points and what I'm what I'm projecting for those two this year to be perfectly fine to get me there. And then just absolute darts of Will Levis, Stetson Bennett and Mike White behind them. You know, you are banking on those two being healthy and unless, you know, Levis actually somehow starts this year, you're really banking on those two being healthy, but I think you got to do a little bit more variance in a league like this. If in my terms, I'm trying to win year one in some, I'm at least trying to be in a playoff contention in year one. It, it could lead to where if it goes really, really wrong, I do have to full punt and actually put myself in relegation. But I think there's enough insulation, like you kind of said, in the other positions to where even if something happens at quarterback, I'm able to recover. Yeah, since I did go in on Hertz, like I was the only one that went in my again, I mentioned it earlier. My whole thought process is getting assets that I can trade, getting valuable players that people are interested in. And Jalen Hurts is is hands down one of the most interesting players right now just because he shown or he has put himself in the top three quarterback conversation. So I went after Jalen Hurts. I only spent, I think, 305 bucks on him or 301. Um, so I got him in a range where I was comfortable. I think he went for like 310 in a couple of the other ones. And coincidentally enough, Jalen Hurts is the one, you know, bam tier quarterback we have seen traded so far. So as you've seen in Rumble, and if you're in any other leagues with me, I know Cody, both of you guys are, I do like to have that kind of QB 8 to 15 range is really where I sit in, especially when we're looking at deeper rosters, when we're talking about a start 13. Um, so I may be trying to move Hertz if, if possible so that I can get him. So I do have Hertz, Pickett, and Tannehill as my starting three. I have a couple other dollar guys that just you know ended up clearing. Um, we'll figure that out, but I would like to have a fourth starter because, you know, as we're, we're looking at some of the roster construction stuff here and we can kind of dive into that. Um, I do want four guys that can potentially crack my quarterback or super flex position. Yeah. I was going to lead into that because I, I went neither in on the BAM tier quarterbacks, nor did I go in on get more than two quarterbacks. I literally only went in with two. Wasn't my initial plan. But there became a point where I was like, you know what, I, I want to build out a certain way and I have a kind of a, a back end plan to hopefully add a quarterback or two at some point, but probably be content with for year one, just trying to find them on waivers when they pop up. Uh, yet you look at the optimal roster construction. We know in best ball, it's probably going to be usually four. 
for deeper leagues, it's going to be four. You're going to probably want at least four, if not five. So it's usually four to five is the sweet spot. Definitely want to have three. I think if you have two, most people would say that's suboptimal. And definitely it, it's skating on very thin margins if there were to be an injury. I mean, every bye week, I'm going to be sweating that the other quarterback doesn't have an injury. Otherwise, I'm probably in trouble uh, from a victory points perspective. But it got to a point where it was, okay, people are paying X dollars for quarterback X because they are starting. Yet, is that guy going to have any market value when you go and try to trade him? The the value they're going to have is, okay, I have Ryan Tannehill. And I think, Chase, you have Ryan Tannehill, right? I do, yep. Ryan Tannehill's value is he's a starter. His value is higher to you. You would not trade him for less than a second. Probably you'd want a second plus, right? Easy. Yep. Yet most people are going to go, I'm not going to give you a second plus. So immediately it's probably going to be, he's not going to be the guy you're eager to throw on the trade block because you know you're going to get a bunch of offers in the range that you like. It's going to be, dude, he's going to get benched by week 10. He's not going to start after this year. You've already flown the coop with a guy like Tannehill. His equity is he's on your roster, so he's a placeholder. But then I'm like, okay, if you look at the warp graph, and I think this is one of the big things you can take away from warp is, okay, if, if I can find a replacement quarterback somewhere, sometime, and maybe I have to speculate on some of the backups or trade for a guy that I think is going to get a shot at some point, you know, the Mayfield Trask situation or the Brissett Howell situation, you know, you could add one of those guys before they start. And as soon as they start, I look at it as you basically have Ryan Tannehill at that point, but you got to get lucky. And so my, my strategy was basically I'm punting and I've slowly loaded up on some fab dollars for that exact reason. So I'm already sitting at like 400 fab for the season. So that's, that's a strategy where it's like, I probably am looking at quarterbacks for the most part with the fab. So I played it differently. I know quarterback would be the downfall, but I also ended up with Bijan Chase and Jefferson. I could get a quarterback if I had to, but right now the plan, you know, how many people have hit me up for those guys to try to trade for a package of quarterbacks? I've had three or four people and I'm, I'm sticking to my guns, you know, like I've, I'm going to play this one a little bit differently and go really, really frisky at quarterback. So I'm playing it differently than what people probably expected, uh, but we'll see how it works. And I I had every plan to not go in with just the two that I have. I I had every plan to go and buy a third quarterback, at least, you know, kind of like Chase had where he's got a Ryan Tannehill, just something that gives me a little bit more stability at the position. But when you combine the warp graph and what we're seeing of these guys and what they're actually scoring and what they're replacing – compared to what the price was whenever we got there. I mean, we had these QB3s getting ran up to like $70, $100. And you're telling me that exactly what you said. I mean, you're barely getting a second for these guys. Meanwhile, what we're actually paying for Bijan is less than $100 total. It's just where do you want to invest your capital? And especially once you're all the way to QB3 in the draft, there's just a lot more guys like the wide receivers, the running backs that I would much rather still invest in that still hold more value than that quarterback himself. You're just you're literally like you like you say, like we're just banking on the fact that he's a starter. We're paying because he's going to start. And that is the only reason that he's valued that high. And that's where I chose to just punt it out. Well, and I'll just say we were talking about this in voice chat the other day, but if you look at like Josh Palmer's season from last year or KJ Osborne's season from last year, in this scoring, it's actually where you can plan to have those guys in your super flex a lot of weeks. 
based on the scoring. So that was another reason I typically would never do this. I would go, I need to have my super flex covered with the QB every single week through bye weeks and everything. But here, like if you legitimately go into the season with, I mean, roster construction says nine, but if you even had just seven or eight running backs that you think have a role, especially with the point per target, doesn't t- a role in a point per target league doesn't really need to be the same as a role in a regular PPR league. You know, you can you can throw the satellite back in there, and if he gets five targets, catches four of those for 40 yards right there, right there, you're sitting on double figures. You're sitting on 15 points, basically, just from a pedestrian, you know, Naheem Hines, five for 40 game. And here, that could fire literally ahead of a, a quarterback that's QB 28 on the week just based on the scoring. So I think if you are going to fade quarterback or you're weak at quarterback, you you got to be overwhelming at the receiver and the running back position. At least that's the strategy I took. I, I think, Cody, you took a kind of a similar strategy to that. With You took a couple backup quarterbacks as well, but I, I think you can get away with it here. I'm planning on my super flex being a non-quarterback half the week's. Yeah, where, where you have where you have the guys that you're you've went into the the fab dollar route already, where you're just loading up on the fab, you're gonna you're gonna have them. I am just taking more of like the high leverage. Uh, I'm a little bit more player based, I think. Whenever we compare how we two do, you know, you're a little bit more on the portfolio side. I haven't built up the portfolio as high, so I'm a little bit more player based at this point as well, or still. And so I'm betting on the the Mike White with Tua situation. I'm betting on the Stetson Bennett with Matt Stafford. I'm betting on the high leverage backup situations that I see a little bit differently and maybe have a little bit more of an advantage than just saying, hey, I'll take whichever one comes up. But it it is really just roster construction at that point because I think that when we're building out all the way to 32 and currently all the way up to 40, if you wanted to, you're just going to like, it is so hard to build out that far with actual usable assets that I'm going to have dead assets on my roster somewhere. It's incredibly hard to have a completely optimal lineup to give you points in every single position. And if I have to put dead points anywhere, I'll put it in a backup quarterback that I think is in a high leverage spot to start just because of the value bump that they do get whenever they do get a starting role. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I did the exact same thing with my last few darts, Sam Darnold, Zach Wilson. Like if there's ever a chance that they happen to get a, you know, uh, on the field again, it seems like for whatever reason, Darnold always gets another chance, always does. Zach Wilson, there's a shot that he can he can jump back in there. We have, you know, Aaron Rodgers, who is 39 years old. It's like maybe there's a shot he can get on the field and I can move him. Um, so that was always like my thought process with uh, with some of those guys. And there's a good chance that like Carson Wentz gets cut. If he is not on a team in, in a couple weeks here, there's legitimately no reason for me to have him on my team. But uh, one of the things you talked about, Scott, that I looked at when it came to wide receivers that I drafted was the fact that a, a single 40 yard catch, one 40 yard catch is 10 points with the bonus. Cause it's a 40 plus yard catch bonus of five points. So that right there with a full PPR, you're automatically getting 10 points. So I wanted some big play guys. You know, I wanted some guys that can that can hit the home run. Yeah, I would love for some guys that, to, that have high targets, you know, uh, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cups, uh, Diggs, Tyreek, like all of those guys that are going to get high target share are all obviously going to be up there. But when you're talking about a, a guy that could potentially hit your super flex spot, having, I mean, Calvin Austin hasn't done anything, but Tyler Boyd always seems to break one right? Like he, he does it once or twice a year. You're going to have guys that just field stretchers Tutu Atwell has a couple games for you. And if you're able to get those guys for single digit in the dollars, like that, that's a, that's an easy bet. 
Yeah, I think you make a good point. I mean, both of you have uh, slightly lower numbers than receivers. I, I went into this going, all right, if I'm going to be weak at quarterback, I need to have at least, I kept saying in voice chat, I, my goal was 20 receivers. I don't think I quite got there. Uh, probably, I'm probably going to be around the 15 mark. So, but I'm going to always make it a, a point to be strong at the receiver position and the running backs. It It's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't with the running backs. Same with the quarterbacks because what I'm banking on is a lot of people take the strategy that you guys have where they're willing to carry two or three extra backup quarterbacks into the season. Same with the running backs. There's a lot of people that added running backs. Now, a lot of them were laid in the auction, but a lot of people added running backs and you're like, that guy's not going to have a role. That's a zero, most likely. You know, adding the the third running back, even I have one like Latavius Murray is a guy where, you know, I'd, I'd probably be willing to sell him for fab dollars because I think he's either, you're, you know, you're going to want to pick him up or you're going to potentially be holding a guy that's going to score less than, is going to be single figures probably to start the season, most likely, if the backfield shakes out how we think it is right now. Right. So I'm betting... And maybe this is where my strategy could go awry, and I'm putting it out there on the podcast, which isn't a good thing. But I'm kind of betting that people are a little more efficient with their roster construction. And so I look at some of these teams, and they're just disasters from a team build. They don't have enough players. That was the other thing. Some teams chose to only win 22 players, 24 players. I think all of us made it a point we wanted to get close to the max, if not over the max. We we didn't want to leave with only 22 players because that's the other thing. We're going to do one fab run where if you spent all your auction dollars, you can't even participate in the first fab run. And there's a couple guys out there that got auctioned in one league and didn't get auctioned in the other that are still available on waivers. So having access to being able to pick those guys up first uh, could be an advantage. But I'm, I'm banking that the Carson Wentz's of the world's get dropped. The, the Marcus Mariotas, the Jameis Winstons, like those guys fall back on waivers eventually when people realize, hey, it's only 32 man rosters. I need to start 13. I'm taking seven zeros every week. And so I'm banking that the attrition is going to play itself out. If it doesn't, then it could burn me. And it's the same with the running backs. I have a strong running back core. And I'm going to be able to price enforce some of the running backs that other people with weak running back cores are going to try to pick up. But if you have a bunch of people that are just carrying 10, 11, 12 running backs and half of them are the the low-end ones that aren't going to score points, where's the running back value going to come from on waivers? So it should be interesting, but I'm maybe I'm overestimating how sharp everybody is going to be because even if those teams are not beating me, they're kind of dragging down my optimal strategy based on the warp. So it's an interesting discussion. And, and the thing that what you're touching on there is the thing that I think was my biggest misconception at the beginning of this draft was, like, like I said, I have my par sheet. I build it all the way out. I built mine all the way out to 35 players. And I put a value basically of what I wanted to kind of pay for each of my 35 slots. And then you have teams that went out at 17 players and you are not, you're not even at your max. Now I know it worked out for Gabe and I still like what his team was, but I figured everybody would build a little bit more to the median instead of trying to play the extreme and we have a lot of teams that are 22 25 or under and even the back five of their team are still dead assets and as that started playing out that was when i was like okay i'm just gonna collect assets now try to flip them after and the teams are still just holding out strong like i did not i did not think that it was going to happen i walked away with 36 assets i think it was the most in the entire league was 36 assets now i mean those go into like Ty Montgomery and Kevin Harris's assets. They don't really count, but 
there's still bodies and there's still guys that are probably going to be picked up on waivers whenever we get there in the next couple of days. And it was a misconception on my part that people would try to build out more so to every position on their roster than to just saying, hey, I'm just going to get guys and dip the hell out of here. Yeah, I think uh, when I built mine out, you said you built yours to 35. I only built a 25 because I had a feeling people were going to go out at 20 was like the minimum number I thought people were going to go out on. We did see, I think, one or, one team under 20, one team at 20. So I built out the 25 also because the way I do best ball is I want to have so many players score within a certain range. And so I wanted to make sure that I had or potentially had 25 players that could potentially get me 10 points per game or more. And that's usually how I start to build and anything additional after that, the 26 through 32 in this case um, are going to just be dart throws. Uh, any guy that could potentially crack my lineup, maybe it's filling out with a backup uh, quarterback or even just filling out with depth running backs. If I can, um, I ended up with 28. So I did get a couple extras, but again, I do have Carson Wentz on my team. So there's that aspect, but yeah, for the most part, that's kind of how I like to look at it is I want 25 players that can score 10 or more, and then I'll fill out with depth. Yeah, I was going to comment on Cody because I, I watched Cody and I've seen what Cody's been trying to do, at least based on your trade bait that you posted. I, I noticed that I had done something similar because I went up to 35. I think we actually went up to the two highest numbers in the league. And I went to 35 and I thought, you know what? There's a ton of teams here that are a, I mean, the worst thing you could have done is built out to less than 25 and spent all your fab dollars. Cause you're going to miss out on a couple players that you could have gotten for a cent, 50 cents, whatever, you know, you're missing out on the first waiver run. And so I'm like, man, some of these teams, I mean, really what they should be doing is just trading for bodies. You know what I mean? They, they should have no qualms going to Cody and going, Hey, can I get two of these guys? Even your bottom 20%. They should give you a third for two of those guys, right? Like at some point you may have considered that because you have to cut four players. The way we did it is if you went over 32, you had to cut the last four players that you want. doesn't matter who they were. So like you're sitting at a point where you're going to have to cut some players, but I realized quickly, man, there's, there's nobody. I sent out some offers. Nobody really was biting. So I just was like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to send the guys that I'm probably going to cut. But I'm going to send who I can for fab. And I it's funny because I've had a couple of people message me and and I was open with them. If they got, if they traded for a player for fab, I was like, yeah, I'm shocked that there's some of these teams didn't even come and get a random player for 15 fab, 20 fab. And it they're, they're players that probably if you saw on waivers during the season, you'd be like, man, I'd, I'd spend 15 bucks for that player. I'd spend 20 bucks for that player. And these teams are way short on bodies. So I think there's just kind of a, and I'll ask Cody, cause you went to 36. Is there a little bit of a misunderstanding from some of the teams in this league of just how intense a start 13 best ball league is with 32 man rosters? I don't know that it's a misunderstanding. I, I was thinking about this one on the drive over here, uh, coming, coming back here to record. And th I think the realization that I came to was, I think that they understand the position that they're in. However, they don't want the out to benefit somebody else. Like they know because I'm over, I have to cut and it only benefits me that they are making the trade with me. Like it, it obviously does benefit them and their team, but they think that there's another way out and there's another chance after I've already cut down, I'll still be able to make that similar type of move. 
And right now it only benefits me and it benefits me much more than them. And so they're just willing to sit pat because they know the position that I'm in. Like that's at least the read that I'm getting is just, look, I'm in a, I'm in a tough position, but you're also in a tough position because you have to cut. So I'm going to force you to actually sit there, make the cut, unless you just give me a deal that's actually worth it on paper. I'm not going to be the one to budge and we're just going to sit here at heads until one of us either either moves or we're just going to sit here and both of us are going to fail until one of us eventually turns off and you know takes the bullet chase do you think that that's true until it's not true meaning 20 teams that are under 30 can look at cody and go there's no way i'm giving you a second or a third or anything flexible for your four players over your roster like good luck buddy you're gonna have to cut them until somebody does, right? Like I, I've had no less than 15 offers of people sending me fab for players. As soon as I went from I'll take fab over draft picks, it was like, oh my gosh. And I've gotten some dog shit offers. We're talking, <laughs> I, I said, I'm not taking $1 for anybody. I've gotten two offers of $2. And it, they're really, if the player is on one of our rosters, they're worth $2, right? So that it's kind of insulting to offer $2, but at the same time, the fact that that person would not pay a third for one of the 15 players on my team, that's probably worth a third, but they would throw in some fab dollars for a player tells you right there that they see what's going on. They're just trying to minimize how much it benefits them. But what if someone comes to Cody and goes, Hey, you know what? I'll give you a five. I, I want five of your players, but I'll give you, all my regular season fab and a second and a third. Like Cody would smash to accept that probably as long as the players were not in a certain range where he goes, I just can't do it. I'd rather cut. But like as soon as one team does that, it actually benefits all the other teams that didn't do anything because yeah, Cody benefited and that team benefited, but everybody else is still kind of screwed to the same degree. So Cody, I think you're right until somebody's willing to make a deal with you. And then it's like, it benefits both of you and there's, you know, 15 teams that get left out and they still have the same issue. Any thoughts on that, Chase? I would say you noticed that the floodgates open. Once you got one deal done with the fab, everyone, I mean, I sent you an offer once I started seeing that you were willing to take fab for players. I'm like, sure, I'm going to send something over. But uh, yeah, I think I was actually really surprised when Cody first sent me what his, uh, his kind of tier breakdown with the second and third kind of uh, his, his overall trade bait. I was really surprised no one actually sent him anything. Um, even just sending a single third, trying to get some of those lower tier players, because there are some teams that have uh, a lot of spots to fill out. And, and just so you know, Cody, I, I'm sending you a trade as we speak uh, so I can hopefully get to take advantage of this fab opportunity before everyone hears this on Monday. But uh, but yeah, like once it happens, more people are going to come to you. And the fact that Scott and you are in the same position, Scott had taken, I think, three, maybe four offers for fab so far. Like, I'm surprised no one immediately thought, oh, Cody, like, let me hit him up and see if I can get some some players for Fab right now. So uh, I'm going to hopefully take advantage of this while I can. Yeah, I ended at 35, and I'm actually, I think, at 28 now, 28 or 29, because I, my goal was to get under to where I could actually bid a dollar or two on waivers, but I never expected I'd need to win four or five players, which I think that's where I'm at. So I, I'm happy with where I'm at. I traded my first in the auction. Uh, to get DeAndre Swift, which in this format, it, you know, I think a square deal. Part of that was, and that was going to be my next question is there were some trades that went down in the auction. And my thought on trading my first during the auction was for exactly this reason. I think a lot of teams right now are terrified of selling anything that's close to worth the first. There's been some deals. They've been from some of the more aggressive managers 
but I've sent out some offers. I've sent a couple players that I think are worth close to a first or seconds to managers straight up for picks. Nah, not trade my picks. So I, I kind of felt the pick market in terms of like one for one, a pick for a good player wasn't really going to exist for part of the reasons we talked about at the beginning. Teams are just terrified giving up anything that they can count on for even solid production. Even if they're getting a first, what is that first really? Especially if it's a team that has a lot of depth that they think is not going to get relegated. It just feels like those deals are few and far between. I could get it in the startup, which is why I did it. I don't know if I could get that same deal right now. It is interesting, the deflation that we've seen. Um, Because I do think this is the lowest that I have seen players traded for whenever you're just talking purely picks. But I do think that that plays into it. It's like, I have no idea what this is right now. And whenever you're talking 36 teams, yeah, it might lend to somebody getting pushed down the board a little bit more. But until that auction runs, nobody values the pick at what it should actually be valued at. The pick doesn't gain value. You can't target a specific manager the same way that you can in normal league where it's the inverse of the finish. It's the inverse of points scored. You can't target teams the same way. And because of that, the, the pick values themselves, even the seconds and thirds just seem to be non-existent in, in the overall grand scheme of the trade market. And also just because people want that stability still on their roster, where if something does go wrong, it, kind of that relegation factor that we talked about earlier, people want the backfill. If something does go wrong in their team, they think that second, that third, that first can help them propel themselves back into not getting relegated this year. So it's a little bit of that insurance policy that they still hold and they'll just clutch onto. I think sometimes a little bit too much when they see what they could go out and buy it for right now. And I think we saw some of what, uh, what we were talking about at the very start of this, like we have so many teams that feel like they're still in it. Like they were, they're willing to trade. I've seen a bunch of people willing to trade. I've gotten offers that, that like, they just refuse to give up their first. They'll trade anything else. I got seconds. I got players in seconds, like those types of things just refuse to give up that first simply because they are worried about where their team currently sits. Are they an actual playoff team? They, like they want to know for sure that that pick isn't going to be a lottery pick and feel good about that so that they can trade it. And then they're happy to, you know, assume they're going to get a full first value out of that first round pick. But with the way the pick market's been, I mean, I think the, the straight swap we had for Judy for a first was about the highest. I think we've seen that first value. Everything else has been less. We had Ramondre and Fant for a first and a third. We had uh, your deal with for Swift. But for the most part, it seems like the pick market has been, at least the first round pick market has been pretty depressed. So let's kind of end this uh, first part of this on on DD with this discussion about that. Because one thing we didn't mention earlier is there's no trade deadline. And so teams are going to have incentives to trade at all points to buy and to sell. And really, because you're fighting to not get relegated, there is still a reason for teams that are clearly not going to make the playoffs to still not just say, oh, I'm stuck in the middle. Let me try to get to the bottom as quick as possible in the last three or four weeks. Like They still have to finish in that top 24 to not get relegated. So that was my other question that I wanted to throw out there to you guys is, when are we going to see the dam break? And we've talked about it in voice chat to where inevitably there's going to be a couple teams that by week five and they have one victory point, they're probably going to go, all right, I'm getting relegated. 
or there's a really good chance I'm getting relegated. And in a 36 team league, you probably want to be the first team that is willing to open the floodgates and start trading away pieces. Now you're still going to have to make trades that you think are beneficial to you from a dynasty lens, but being the team that goes, all right, seven players, my seven core players, all of them are available for picks or teardowns or all of those things. That's going to be the team that I think hits it first. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to be the seventh team that tries that when it's too late. And you may also still be fighting to not get relegated. So that's going to be the other thing is, do you see the dam ever breaking in this league? Or do you just see maybe the have nots that are just willing to suck it up and say, I'm getting relegated. They're going to have a little bit of an edge, but I, I kind of felt that this is going to be a tight, this is going to be a tight race all the way out to where I don't even know. Like I bought an extra second for two players. Now, part of that was my roster problem, but I'm still looking at that going, man, what, what am I going to be able to buy with a second in week 12? when there are 31 out of 36 teams that are still fighting for their lives and not get relegated? Am I going to be able to buy a Brandon Cooks or a Tyler Lockett for a, for a random second? I don't think so, guys. I think this is going to be tight all the way throughout. And the first is just a higher degree of what you're going to be able to buy. You know, like I think you're going to have to settle if you want players down the stretch. You're going to have to settle for the kind of the shitty trio package for a first. You know, it's, you know it's a bad trade but someone's throwing you three usable pieces for the last month and you just take it for a first, but in a month you're going to kick yourself and go, what the hell did I do? I don't know. What do you guys think? It's not even for me. Cause I think there will be some teams, like you said, I don't think there's going to be as many teams as we would normally see, at least, you know, on a, on a ratio of a normal 12 team league all the way to 36. Like you said, I think we only probably see like maybe five, six teams do that. The rest of them are all going to be fighting to try to stay afloat. But even those five to six teams, how far do they tank? Because they still know they have to come back within a couple of years and try to win. Can they really throw all of their resources away and really only rely on draft picks to build themselves back up? And you're betting on a lottery to do it as well. Whenever you're not, you're not betting, you're not locking yourself into the top picks. Your pick isn't even locked in. And so how far do they even punt? Because if they only sell off like the top four assets of their team, then that that's also limiting the pool of resources that all the teams who are still holding their first can go out and buy. I, I'm I'm kind of with you where I think we're going to see a pick value suppression all the way through. I I'm with the mindset that this is going like I think it's going to be delayed. Like I think there will be a dam to break. There's going to be that point where there's going to be 12 teams that get relegated, and it's going to be the top 24 teams just picking on those bottom 12 or the bottom 12, we assume, and trying to just take any value from their roster, any points off of their roster. And I do think we're going to see the dam break at some point because there are going to be people that um, want to be first to market, want to be the first ones to make that trade. And it will eventually happen, but normally you see it in week five, week six, when people just kind of say, you know what, this isn't my year. I'm going to start making my pivot now, um, trying to acquire picks, trying to acquire younger assets, maybe assets for, for next year, just looking at the future. I think it's going to be week 10, week 12, week 14 teams making that playoff push. Um, you're going to, there's going to be that like tier of teams that are close to the playoffs. Potentially you can take their pick. That might be a lottery first giving up an asset. I think we'll see around that time frame the pick values reset or, or get to where it should be. But I mean, it's not going to be anytime soon. It's, it's just going to take, a good 10 
to 12 weeks before we start to see that. I also wonder if you're going to get to a point where the teams that are, they have enough because we're doing victory points. We're doing victory points uh, up to 13 weeks, I believe. So basically you can earn up to 26 victory points. So wherever the line is there, then obviously there's a tiebreaker. Once you kind of feel like, and I think it was Brandon that said he estimated that it would be somewhere around like 14 to 15, 14 to 16 victory points is what it's going to take to be in the playoffs. But I think if you're a team that's close to that, at what point do you realize, all right, I'm not probably making the final four, but I'm not getting relegated. Is that where maybe we see some sellers earlier than, than normal? If you can make a good dynasty trade where you're, you're on tap to finish 18th, but you have enough early points to where you're not going to get relegated. But you also realize like there's three or four teams that have developed powerhouses. I'm not probably beating them because I have too many injuries. I'm carrying some players that, you know, are giving me zeros or whatever. Are those the teams you think they could break the dam a little earlier, Cody? You think they may sell, Hey, I'm not getting relegated, but damn, if I can really trade like, you know, some points for an injured guy that's better or some points for an injured guy in a second or something like that. Like that can help me as soon as the clock turns over to the next day next year. Well, this is what we saw in Rumble, right? It was Chase's team and it was Brett's team. They were the two juggernauts from like week eight on. We knew that they were probably going to be in a championship game, at least in the final four. And that if that type of scenario plays out this year, it makes it a lot easier for those mid teams to try to thread the needle. Because if you're not in the top, if you don't finish final four, like there's no reason for you to even be competing this year. It's just now, how do I retool? And I think that's where you could see that damn break is how do I sell assets to those teams and just turn those four teams, those six teams who are really trying to compete for those top spots into more juggernaut and just try to thread the needle, stay afloat this year and come back, make my picks or make trades with those assets that I've collected, but still stay in the top 24 this year. I think that's where in the middle range is kind of where you'll see probably more of a more active market. It'll be that real low end, the real high end players buying assets the middle guys trying to thread the needle, but you're only going to see, I think about four teams really pick that side or pick the lane that hard. I'm looking for the teams that are going to thread the needle of, you know, getting not necessarily relegated, but being in the lottery. But I'm also looking at those teams that are trying to thread, thread the needle of that playoff push where maybe they get eliminated round one, or they're in the, in, in the fight all the way to the very last week and they get eliminated. Do they have a, Keenan Allen, a 30-year-old, 31-year-old, 32-year-old player where they're just like, you know what? That's not that's not something I'm going to be needing next year. Can I get value now? Give it to one of these teams that has a pick. So if you're going to have draft capital as a contending team into the playoffs, do you have an advantage where you're able to buy some of these assets maybe at a, at a cheaper price because you're just renting down the stretch? So that's another thing I'm going to be start I'm going to start looking at as well as well as the season goes on. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think we'll close it there. Uh, we can talk more about the market, kind of how we think it's going to go. Uh, let's touch on the the trade deadline thing, because I think that is a huge thing. People that are listening that have never played in leagues without a trade deadline. I mean, Chase just hit on a key point that he kind of teased for the beginning of uh, the overreaction show, where you'll be able to find part two of this. Uh, so we'll talk more about it. Uh, that'll be out on Wednesday. So check out part two when it comes out. I appreciate you guys for coming on. This is a cool just kind of introduction from one of our leagues that was very challenging for all of us. Uh, none of us, including myself and Ray, had ever even played in a league like this. Uh, not just with this auction, but with these rules, three copies, 
these parameters, these this scoring, best ball, start 13. Like it really was a test of I gotta analyze what I want my strategy to be. And then the strategy can get thrown out the window when you realize there's 35 other people in the league and you don't know what they're going to do. So hopefully the listeners got something uh, to take away from this for your existing leagues. Or if you join a league where you're like, all right, this is kind of a unique format. I got to figure out a way to play this. Uh, and I hopefully with some of the stuff we talked about today uh, can help with some of the considerations if you get into your that situation in a league in the future. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and sign off. Appreciate all the listeners. As always, you can find everything Destination Devi at patreon.com slash gas. And we will sign off until part two on the Overreaction Pod. Be chill.